have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans. Before you turn there, how many folks brought their Bibles today? Hold them up for me. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to share verses 23 through 26. You know, I, I think so many times during the Easter story, during the Easter season, the resurrection season, we, I think sometimes we forget, even as vivid as the crucifixion has been portrayed in movies like The Passion of the Christ, and even from what I understand, they're not in as grand a scale as The Passion of the Christ, but the movie that just came out, Son of God, I think sometimes we have a romanticized version, if you will, of what Jesus went through, and we forget exactly why he had to do it. And so we want to take a look at that this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. If you're physically able, out of reverence to God's word, if you'd stand, please, as I read. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome some 2,000 years ago and writing to us through the Holy Spirit here at Victory this morning. And we start out, verse 323, a verse many folks know. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody once said, a pastor friend of mine once said, that all means all, and that's all all will ever mean. Everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing and the, the doing of His Word. You may be seated. Now what I would normally do in a, in a passage like that is I'd, I'd just go verse by verse. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to use that as my springboard uh, in, in talking about why, why Jesus had to die. And, and we're going to look at two points. And, and the third point is going to be uh, a determination we have to make based on those first two points. The first two points is going to be we have to see God, see who God is and we have to see who we are. And, and whenever we get to this time of the year or I, I try to preach on God, it, it, it's some of the toughest things for me to do because how do you describe the indescribable? The first thing we want to take a look at is, is, is in knowing why, Jesus, why did Jesus have to die, we first have to see God for who He is. And first and foremost, first and foremost, we need to see that God above all else is holy. That means He's sinless. He's, he's without sin. A couple of these examples you may remember from last year, but they were good, so I figured I'd use them again. When Elijah asked to see God, God only allowed him to see his back because God is so holy that, that Elijah could not look on a, on a holy God and live. When Peter saw Christ for who he was, a couple of revelations were made to Peter. Once was, was, was in, the, in a boat when there was a storm and, and, and he saw Jesus come and, 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 and Peter said, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. But then a little bit later on, they were talking, and, and Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And Peter declared that, that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter realized then who he was. When the soldiers came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, was so holy that the soldiers, the Scriptures tell us, fell down. They were, it wasn't that they did it voluntarily. They man, automatically fell on their faces because they had come into the presence of a holy God. In the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 it tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You could be here today saying you know what I'm never going to bow the knee to anybody. Nobody can ever make me bow. But the scriptures tell us that one day every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess and the only difference the only separations are going to be are those that are bowing and confessing that did it while they were alive on this earth and they'll go into the glories of heaven and those that are going to confess it at that time that never confessed it while they were alive and they're going to be separated from God in a real place the Bible calls hell. But God is holy, but I can't even <clears throat> excuse me, begin to describe what holiness is or, 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 or describe God's holy, holiness because nothing is clean and, and is pure enough. You know, sometimes when we think of clean and pure, we think of a, 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 a fresh covering of snow. I was talking with folks last night. I think it would be, y'all probably don't, y'all don't have my sense of humor, so y'all won't think it's funny. But I said, I think it'd be so funny if we got one more snowstorm right now. Yeah, no, right? But that doesn't compare. I, I think of a, of, a, of a newborn baby when my, when my, children were born and when my granddaughter was born they were they were so if you will they were so spiritually speaking because we know what babies look like when they first come out but they were they were so beautiful and so perfect and so innocent but that can't even begin to describe the holiness of God he, he he's holy he's perfect take the most exquisite the most perfect diamond <clears throat> that, that you could ever see or could ever imagine and it can't come close to, to showing the perfectness or the holiness of God. Take the best case scenario. Or think of the person that, that in your mind is probably the godliest person that there ever was. And, and, and in my mind at least, in the years I've been alive, I, I, I would have to say that would go to somebody like Billy Graham. But I know in looking at Billy Graham, man, it's, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Because Billy Graham is flesh and blood and sin prone just like us. But God is holy and holy means He is perfect. He, he's without flaw. He's without imperfection. And, and I guess, you know, though even this doesn't do it, it justice to kind of describe God's holiness. If I were to give you a gallon of water to drink, if I were to give you a gallon of water to drink, and just before you drank it, I handed it to you, but I took the lid off, and you see me pull a pin out of my pocket, and I stick my finger, and I let one drop of blood drop in that gallon of water. Would you drink it? No. Why? Because it's been tainted. It, 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 it's, it's no longer pure, fresh water. It's been contaminated. It's been tainted. And, and, and that is as close as me and my, and, and my finite mind can, can come to describing the holiness of God. One little imperfection, if he had one little imperfection, he, he would not be holy. He would not be God. How do you describe that which is indescribable? 
God's not only holy, the Bible tells us that He's perfect. That means that He's without sin. And for those of you that don't know it, sin comes from an old, uh, an old English term. It's an old English archery term, meaning to miss the mark. And what used to happen was, they, you, you, you've probably read the stories or seen movies growing up about Robin Hood, and they had the big archery contest. What, what sin, what a sin was in medieval times was representative of an archer shooting his arrow and missing the bullseye. He missed the mark. Didn't matter if he missed it by this much or if he missed it by this much. If he didn't hit the mark, he sinned. God is perfect in that he has no sin in him. Not even the, the hint of sin. The Bible also tells us that he's righteous because he's holy, because he's perfect. Everything he says, everything that he does is right. It's, it's righteous. The Bible also tells us that he is a just God. And what we mean by that is, is, again, is that everything he says, everything he does is perfect. We might not like it. We might not fully understand it. But he is a just God. He's a God of justice. For him to stray or alter in any of these characteristics of his would mean that he would have to change. And if he changed, he couldn't be God. We were discussing this in the, in the youth Sunday school class this morning. If, if, if God were not perfectly holy, if He were not perfectly sinless, if He were not perfectly perfect, if He were not perfectly righteous, He could not be God because any kind of change means that He was less than God. If, if, if He was perfect up to a point and then He made a mistake, He's not God. If He was imperfect and improved, then He couldn't become God because a perfect God doesn't have to improve. There's no room for improvement. You know, when, when Tammy and I first got married, she told me that I was the perfect husband for her. And I said, well, sweetie, I do have some, some flaws that I need to work on. Wow. Y'all are getting worse all the time. Or I'm getting worse all the time, maybe. God is all these things. But another characteristic of God is that God is love. But we need to understand this morning that, that, that it's a perfect love. And what I mean by perfect love is, again, it's a love that's untainted by sin, but it's a love in which he who is holy and righteous and perfect makes the determination and the definition as to what love is. See, we on this earth have this watered-down, mamby-pamby, mushy version of, of love in, the, in that, well, if I have strong feelings for you, if I love you, the, you know, the, and you love me great or I'm going to love you until you don't love me anymore or I'm going to love you until, in, until something better comes along that's not true love it, because a true love a perfect love is perfect and it's unchanging it doesn't waver it doesn't fade away it doesn't go away but we need to realize that God is the one who calls the shots and God is the one who determines what love is and in God's love, He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. We that are sinners, and that's what I'm going to talk about next. First, we need to see, in figuring out why Jesus had to die, we need to see who God is. And I know, I know that was a very imperfect way of, 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 of describing Him. I could have used a whole lot more Scripture. But again, it would be feeble, if you will, feeble attempts to describe the holiness of God and all His other characteristics as to, as to who He truly is. But we've seen who, who God is, but we need to take a look at who we are. 
in determining why Christ had to go to the cross. We've seen who God is, but we've got to look at who we are. The Bible tells us that we're all, all sinners. The first part of this passage, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You hear me say in the invitation every Sunday, and I, and I, I break it down so, so people will realize what sin is. I say that we're all sinners and, and that we have all been disobedient to God with our thoughts, our words, or our actions. There's not a single one of us here today, a single one of us that ever lived, a single one of us that will ever live, that will be able to say that they lived one day without sinning. Because we're either going to think something, even if it's a split second, we're going to think something, we're going to say something. Tammy would tell you that I'm famous, I was going to say at least at the house, but you see it here, of saying something before I put my brain in gear. You know, sometimes we'll say something before we think. Or we'll do something. You know, uh, shaking your fist at that guy that cut you off on 610 or on, or on I-95, that, that's a sin. Because what are you thinking? You're thinking you're, you're being hateful in your heart. There's not one of us that, that, that has never sinned. I, had, I think I've shared this story before. My pastor was telling me about how uh, <clears throat> when he was in seminary, there are some folks that believe you can achieve sinless perfection on this earth. In other words, they believe that you can, you, you can become so spiritual and so godly that you can live the rest of your life out on this earth without sinning. And he said he was sitting in the, in the cafeteria one day at seminary and it, uh, one of his buddies came running up with a bunch of books and threw them down on the table and sat down. He said, Jim, I finally did it. And Jim goes, you did what? He said, I've got to the point where I don't sin anymore. Jim's like, really? He says, you don't, know, you don't sin at, at all? Said, nope, nope. I'm, I'm clean, I'm pure, I've figured out how to how to live, the, live a sinless life. And, and Jim ha happened to look down at his books and he saw this pink slip of paper sticking out of it. He goes, what's that right there? Oh, I got a ticket on the way to school today. And Jim says, well, you sinned. And the guy goes, no, that, that, that doesn't count. That's got, to do with, with, that's got to do with the world out there. It's got nothing to do with the physical. Folks, sin has got to do with everything. We might be spiritual beings, but we're living in a physical world. And we're never, on our best day, we're never going to reach sinless perfection. The Bible tells us again, we've all sinned. And listen, we need to realize that, we, that, that we're not sinners because we sin. In other words, we weren't, when we were born, it's not like we were perfect before God until we committed our first sin and then all of a sudden we were sinners. We don't sin because we, we, we're sinners. The brain's gone. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. If you could look, if you, if you could look, at, 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 and there's a spiritual gene in our blood system, we would see a, a sin gene that goes all the way back to our first father, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first ones to sin. And that sin gene, if you will, has carried all down. So that's why the Bible tells us that there's none righteous. No, not one. There's not one of us that's worthy of coming to God on our own, of coming to God's presence on our own. There's not one of us that could do enough good works, and we'll talk about that in a minute, to get to God. 1 Samuel 20, 24, 13 so well says, as the Proverbs of the ancient says, 
Wickedness proceeds from wickedness. We sin because we're sinful human beings. We were born into sin. Now, before we come to know Christ, we don't have any choice in the matter. We're prone to sin. After we come to Christ, we've got the choice to say, I'm not going, I'm not going to sin. I see what's going on here. I can do the right thing, I can do the, do, do the, or I can do the wrong thing. And, I, of course, I already talked about the fact that we have a sin gene from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Okay, that wasn't funny either. I get it. Psalm 51, 4. Excuse me. Damn. In Psalm 51, 4, we read, In my sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah the prophet wrote, The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, we see in all these romantic movies, you know, follow your heart. How many of us have gotten in trouble by following our heart? And you know what? When you get right down to it, when, when you're talking about the romantic, mushy kind of love, it's not a matter of we're following our heart. We're following our lust most of the time. But we're taught to follow your heart. But the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. You hear me so many times talk about, I, I use moms as an example, and, and this is a heart issue here. I'm sure there are times when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like being a mom. Now you're feeling, your heart's telling you, I don't want to be a mom today. But what do you wind up doing? You wind up being a mom. Why? Because you don't trust your heart, you trust your calling. God's called you to be a mom. There are probably many days, and today's probably one of them, where Tammy doesn't feel like being John Hodgson's wife. But, you know, but, but she does it every day. Why? Because that's, that's your calling. God said, you got to love me, sweetie. You know, so we can't trust, we cannot trust our hearts because we're, we're sin-prone human beings. In fact, we're not only, if you want to get right down to it, we're not only sinners, if you will, <clears throat> but to describe our sinfulness, I'll go as far as to say every one of us is born into this world evil. We're all born as sinners, we're all born evil and that we want what's best for ourselves and, and, and you might make the argument with me this morning well, well pastor what about a little baby what about a, 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 a little child certainly they're not born wicked certainly they're not born evil Do you, did we have to teach our kids to steal cookies <laughs> it came natural to them you know don't, don't touch the cookie jar because we're getting ready to have supper and, and mom leaves and, 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 and what happens <clears throat> they're in the cookie jar or make a blank there and fill in the blank with whatever you want, you know. And, and they know, as a toddler, Adeline's getting to the point now where she knows that she's done something wrong because she'll try to hide it, you know. Particularly when it, when it comes to, we haven't started potty training her yet, but there's one particular place she goes and hides, and we know, what, we know what's going on, you know. We, we know, we know what, what, what is wrong and what is right, uh, to a large degree, even when we're little. 
Excuse me. The Bible tells us that we're evil, that we're sinful, and, and, and the Bible shows us with, with, with various examples, and we know from various experiences that our hearts are evil in, in all climates, climates, in all circumstances. <clears throat> the, the depravity, the corruption of the sin nature passed down from Adam through every man is poison. And it comes up out of us just like poison water comes up out of a well in the bucket that you draw it up in. Isaiah said of man, the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. Man without God <clears throat> abides in that evil being, meaning us on our own, that only produces evil products and evil fruit. And you might, you might be saying, well, pastor, what about... What about people that aren't Christians and they do these good deeds like, you know, we, we read in the paper, and I think I've used this as an, as an example before. Bill, Bill Gates and, and, and all these folks have started this, uh, started this thing where they're starting to give away millions and millions of their dollars. Well, when you interview any of them and you ask any of them, well, why are you doing this? Nine times out of ten, what's the answer you're going to get? Well, I do it because it makes me feel good. Well, if we're doing it because it makes us feel good, we're not doing it out of altruistic or, or, or unselfish motives. We're giving because of the feeling that we get when we give. We're not giving because it's the right thing to do or, or the godly thing to do, especially if we're, if we're outside of Christ. So even at our best, apart from Christ, even at our best, the quote-unquote good things we do are evil. Charles Stanley said, the problem with, with man is we don't take sin seriously these days. And, and see, he wasn't just talking, and, and I should have, should have went a little bit more in depth. I'm, I'm not just talking about folks that don't know Jesus. I'm talking about those of us that claim to know, the, know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We still sin. But as I, as I already talked about, we've got the choice as to whether we want to do it or not. But Charles Stanley made a statement recently in one of his devotionals. The problem is we don't take sin seriously these days and don't want to admit we sin. In our culture, sin is no longer considered an issue. Although some may admit to making mistakes or being wrong, few will actually say, I have sinned. Yet God takes sin very seriously. And, and, and that's the truth. And, and, and it's even crept into the church today. Those of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ, we say things, we do things, we live lifestyles that we know God's word says is sin and we know God's word says is wrong, but yet we still choose to say these things, we still choose to do these things, we still choose to live these lifestyles and we don't want to call it for what it is. We don't want to call it sin. Bible tells us not only are we separated from God because of our sin, but because we, we don't know God, we're at war with Him. We're in rebellion with Him. Everything about us on our own is in rebellion against God. Why? Because everything we do, we do for ourselves. Again, even our good deeds are done with selfish motives. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I don't want to get really, really gross here, but that word for filthy rags in the Old Testament, where we read that passage, it, 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 it speaks of... of, uh, of the refuse of a woman's menstrual cycle. So that really kind of really nails down what our righteousness, what our good works look like to a, to a holy person.
perfect, sinless God. But yet there's so many of us that say, well, yeah, I'm separated from God. I mean, I'm not separated from God, you know. Uh, and even if I am, well, when I get to heaven, when I stand before God, I'm going to plead my case. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us that's not going to happen. We're going to be, the Bible tells us that in that day, you'll ask me no questions. When we come into the presence of Christ, we're going to be dumbfounded. Then to those folks that say, well, you know what? God and I have got it figured out. No. You and God don't have it figured out unless you got it figured out through this book right here. I remember when I was a kid, Tom T. Hall had a song out, Me and Jesus got, had a, got Our Own Thing Going. I used to love that song, and once I became a Christian, I started thinking about it. You know what? That's, that's not biblical, if you remember the song. But so many folks say, well, I, I got it figured out. No, God's got it figured out. And He's got it figured out to the, to the point where He tells us that apart from Him, we are filled with sin, we're dirty, we're guilty. And, and not only are we guilty, but this speaks to the folks that say, I'm going to plead my case. If you don't know Christ, one day the Bible tells us that, you, that you're going to stand in front of Him. And it's not going to be pleading your case because the case has already been held. The verdict has already been rendered guilty. And the only thing left is to carry out the sentence. And that sentence is if you don't know Jesus Christ, because God is not going to ask how many good deeds did you do. God's not going to ask how much money did you give to charity. God's not going to ask what church did you go to. God's not going to ask did you walk, walk an aisle, say a prayer, and get baptized. God's going to ask what did you do with my son Jesus Christ. And unless you can say, Lord, I'm here because Jesus Christ saved me of my sins, forgave me of my sins, and He's my Savior, well, the only thing left to be carried out is the sentence. And according to the Bible, that sentence is an eternity separated from God in a real place the Bible calls hell. The Bible tells us that, that the wages of sin is death. And in death, they're talking about there are two types of death. There's a physical death in which, which this body ceases to function, ceases to live, ceases to breathe. But there's another type of death, a spiritual death, which is speaking about the fact that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to be separated from Him for eternity in a real place the Bible calls hell. The Bible talks about a physical death and a spiritual death. It talks about, a, 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 talks about two deaths, just as Jesus talked about two, two births. So we've got all this going against, them, against us, so the only thing that could possibly save us if we're separated from God and the sentence has been handed down, the only thing that could possibly save us in the ninth hour is a pardon. Now, based on these two things, who God is and who we are, based on these two things, man on his own is without hope. But unless you're thinking this morning, well, I'm preaching some kind of hellfire and brimstone, uh, everybody's going to feel bad and guilty about themselves when they leave here a message. No. Based on two things, man on his own is without hope, but we're going to see now why Jesus went to the cross, and that's what gives us hope. <clears throat> because we stand guilty, because we are sinners, Jesus had to go to the cross to die. A holy, remember, a holy, a righteous, a perfect, a just God demands payment for sin. 
And Jesus willingly went to the cross to take our sin, to take our judgment. And the Bible tells us that he placed it on, his, on, his, on himself. You know, because all of us are sinners and sinful, and because there's none righteous, perfect, or holy that can satisfy God's demand for perfection and, and righteousness and justice and, and holiness to be in his presence, God had to do it on his own. Because there are no perfect, sinless people on this earth, God became a man. Jesus came to this earth as a perfect human because a condemned man cannot become a substitute for another condemned man. Theoretically, if Robbie and I are both sitting on death row, I can't go to the warden and say, Warden, I want to take Robbie's punishment. Go on ahead and execute me in Robbie's place. That can't happen. Why? Because we're both guilty of the same thing. But theoretically... Perry could go to the warden and say, I know Robbie's guilty, or I know John, I'll, I'll switch it, brother, take, the, take the, the, the weight off of you. I know John's guilty, and he deserves to die. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I want to take his punishment for him. Let John live, and I'm willing to die. I'm willing to take his judgment. I'm willing to take his punishment. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He who knew no sin took on the sin of the world. Not only did he take on sin, the Bible says he became sin. He bore on his shoulders and took upon himself all the sin of the entire world. All the sins that were ever committed before we were alive. All the sins that are being committed while we are alive. And all the sins that are going to be committed at long after we're dead and gone. If, if Jesus tarries, <clears throat> excuse me, he took all that upon On his shoulders, he bore the sin of the entire world and he willingly went to the cross. He willingly went to the cross for every evil thought, every evil action, every evil word, every lie we ever told, all the evil that, that's ever been committed, all the jealousy, all the cheating, all the murder, all the adultery, all the fornication, all the prostitution, all the pornography, all the, 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 the drugs, all the alcohol, all the, 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 the perversion. God took, uh, Jesus took all of that on himself so we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences for it. What Jesus was doing on the cross was he was writing a pardon in blood that says forgiven. And it's, and it's as though, if you can think of it in these terms, and I'm not trying to minimize it, we, we go to heaven, if we, we, if we know Jesus Christ and we go to heaven, we're handing God a ticket that's got forgiven written in red on it. Because Jesus took our punishment and he, he took our judgment. Again, he who knew no sin took on Sin, took on our sin and he took it all on for us to make us to, to make for us a way to have a relationship with God for us to have a home in heaven and you know the, 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 we were talking this morning about uh, in, in the youth class we were talking about heaven and what it was like and and you know I, I talked about the fact that I you know I've got no I've got no idea because the Bible really doesn't say a whole lot but I know this Eden was a perfect place before Adam and Eve sinned. Now, with our imaginations, if we can imagine how beautiful Eden was, that doesn't even compare to what heaven's going to be like. 
And it's not like, well, hey, we're going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. God's going to, even in heaven, God's going to have things for us to do. Some of us, and I'm not saying this is necessarily what's going to happen. This is a whole other message. Some of us don't like work that much. But you know what? In, in Eden, in that perfect place, God had Adam and Eve working. We read about Adam tending the garden. So God's going to have stuff for us to do in heaven, but it's going to be a perfect place. It's going to be, you take the happiest moments of your life right now and multiply them by a million. And it can't compare to what heaven's going to be like. But, but see, we, we need to give our sin, we need to give our, our old life to the one who died on the cross. Because Jesus is the only one that can pay the penalty for a righteous God. It's not a matter of being a good enough person, doing enough good deeds. It's not a matter of all roads lead to heaven. You just got to be sincere. Buddha doesn't get you to heaven. Muhammad doesn't get you to heaven. New age movement, being a tree hugger doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way I am, the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And I think I touched on this last week, but I'll touch on it again. We just talked about, about God being a loving God. If there were other ways for us to be made right with God, if there were other ways for us to get to heaven, other than what Jesus did on the cross, how could He be a loving God to willingly allow His Son to be tortured and brutally nailed to the cross and die? <laughs> That's not love. There's no way it can be love. But God loved us so much, He was willing again to take that punishment for us. But how do we react to that usually? Some of us reject it. Those that don't know Christ reject it. But what about us that are Christians? We, we come to this, this point every year where we, where we look back at the resurrection and we look back at what Jesus did. But, but how do we generally react to it? As a general rule, the majority of us, at some time or another, some of us it's spotty, some of us it's a lifestyle. We live for ourselves instead of living for Him. Well, God, I know what Your Word says, but, and we take the place of God, and we live out our lives doing what we want to do instead of living for Him. And if, if that's any of us here today, the question I want to ask is twofold. Number one, Where's the point where it's you're in a backslidden state and the point where you were never saved to begin with? And the second question I have is if, is, is if we're willfully and purposely living or doing things that are displeasing to God and we say, well, I'm going to do this for a while and then I'm going to make things right. If that's our attitude, that tells us that there's no sorrow and there's no repentance. How can you be forgiven when there's no sorrow, where there's no conviction, or where there's no repentance. It's not going to happen. How do we generally react to God's gracious love for us? We live for ourselves instead of living for Him. We live lives that show no difference between ourselves and those who make no claims in knowing Christ. Or we react by walking out of church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday unchanged from the way we were when we came in. When we do decide to show up at church, we give God half-hearted worship. There's lackadaisical church attendance. And we basically give Him our leftovers. Well, God, if I have time this Sunday, I'm going to go to church. 
Or God, if, if, if I get all my other stuff done, I'm going I'm to serve you. I'm going I'm to do for you. We give God our leftovers. We give God our, our extras. All <clears throat> while lifting up holy hands. <coughs> while lifting up holy hands and singing songs that we really don't believe because if we really believed them, we'd be living out what we're singing. Most of us react by feigning some kind of love, some kind of love, a little love, a little devotion when He demands and deserves all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is going on with us? And I'm included in that. What is going on in us where when Jesus did what He did for me and I still choose to live the kind of life I live so many times. The kind of life that says, well, God, I don't care what your word says, but this is what I want to do right now because I'm going to do it. Jesus paid too great a price for us that know him as Lord and Savior to be living our lives like that. And for those that might be here this morning that don't know him, he's asking you today, not not. Not out of meanness saying, if you don't come to me, I'm going to, I'm going to strike you down one day and you're going to go to hell. But rather out of love, <clears throat> he's calling you today. He's saying, I love you so much. This is what I did for you. I was reading, in closing, I was reading in one of my devotionals this week, uh, the author made, uh, made the comment that so many guys that are, all, that are always preaching Hellfire and brimstone messages don't get it. Because if you look in the Bible, particularly at the Old Testament, when these prophets came and they preached hellfire and brimstone messages, nine times out of ten, the people didn't repent. They hardened their hearts even more. But he made a, I don't remember it right off, the, right off the top of my head, but he quoted a passage of Romans, out of Romans, that talks about the fact that people are attracted to God because of His goodness and because of His love. And I say that to reiterate what I was saying before. If you're here this morning, whether you've been coming every time since the doors first opened or you're here as a first-time guest and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, God's calling you today, not with a threat, but He's calling you out of love today. Look at how much I love you. Look at what I did for you. And for all of us here, you hear me say it so many times, God says, I don't care what you did, who you did it with, how long you've been doing it, as the song said, if you're ready, come to me just as you are. And I'll make the changes in your life. There's none of us <clears throat> that can get our act together good enough and say, when I reach this point in my life, this, this point of goodness, this point of righteousness in my life, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to give myself to God. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, come as you are. I love you. Come as you are. And let me do the work. Let me do the changing in your life. Because we don't have the strength to do it on our own. So the question is this morning. What are we going to do with Jesus? Those of us that do know. Are we, are we going to continue to live a life. That, 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 that in essence mocks what he did for us. And if you're here this morning and don't know him. Are you going to walk out of here. The same as you were when you came in. 
The decision is all ours. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force any of us to do anything. But rather, he stands by waiting for what we're going to do. And he's ready to wait. He's ready, willing, and waiting to welcome us with open arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you personally that